This is Stephanie Hansen with the Makers of Minnesota. And marketing right now can be a real challenge for makers because we aren't having sampling in grocery stores or at farmers markets and people's habits have really changed when they're in the store. So if you need some help, please let me know. I would love the opportunity to help you. I have a couple of different ways that I can help you. One is we can just have a consulting call where I talk with you about different opportunities to get your product in front of people in the Twin Cities. The second option is just to get you started and on your way with a great social media experience where you are engaging people and you are posting in a way that gets more pairs of eyes to your posts. Or lastly, I can do it all for you. I can hire influencers. I can help you get your product in front of new people. And I can do all of your social media posts for Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter so that you can start reaching and finding new followers and engaging with people in a new way that will increase your product trial, sampling, and ultimately purchasing. If I can help you with any of these items, just let me know. Marketing at gmail.com. That's Hanson with an E and we'll get you started and on your way. you're listening to Stephanie Hansen. I am the host of the Makers of Minnesota podcast where we talk to cool people doing cool things in the state of Minnesota. And I'm here talking with Lindsay Polad and she has the distinction of having just opened a restaurant during COVID-19. Lindsay, would you call the grocer's table a restaurant? Would you call it a market? You opened right before COVID hit. And I'm wondering how that kind of changed the trajectory of the beginnings of your business. Sure. I would call it, um, I first and foremost say market, just because I think that denotes that sort of uh, bustling environment um, where you can kind of do anything from, you know, grab a sandwich there to uh, grab some prepared foods for the makings of dinner at home. Um, uh, So I'd probably call it a market first, then a cafe, then a wine bar, which when I was kind of deciding what our tagline was going to be, that's how it goes. Because, you know, I I think first and foremost, we are just a, a place to gather and enjoy food in all different capacities. From the standpoint of things changing after COVID um, or, or during it, as I was supposed to open back in April, really the integrity of the concept has maintained, it's really the same as I was originally wanting it to be. There are certainly some things that changed from the standpoint of the space and how it's laid out, but I actually think that the changes we've made has made the concept more dynamic. So I did have the physical representation of the grocer's table, which was a long communal table, uh, which was our one reservable table that I thought would be great for groups that wanted to gather or Mm -hmm. for Minnesotans to actually sit at a table together. And I know we're not we're not totally all about really embracing that communal table yet, but I think we're getting there. And now it's a, a beautiful display table of, of products and it allowed me to bring in some more cookbooks and some more houseware items. And then I had a whole area of banquette seating where I have now put in a, an additional cooler and some more shelving for product. And, and that's what houses a lot of our house-made retail items from our bootleg mix to our dips and dressings and eggs and house-made jam and, and things of that nature. So I will never go back from that standpoint. I would love to open the communal table again and, and just kind of 
um, make that an opportunity for larger groups to come and gather. But that area where that banquette seating is, I I won't ever put that back because I just love having more space to showcase more product. What's interesting about what you're doing is you opened during this difficult time, but it also feels like this time you were uniquely positioned to meet this time head on and you had to make a few adjustments, but really this idea of a more pantry, a more marketplace, a more neighborhood driven place that has specialty products, um, but also just like eggs from farmers and those types of products are really resonating with people in COVID. Are you finding that in some ways you're just in the right place at the perfectly right time? I, I do. I think this moment in time, there was something serendipitous about it, really. Uh, we, w- when we contemplated opening during this time, and you know, we were, as every other restaurant that was maybe thinking about opening during this time, was, we were geared up and ready to go. We had such great momentum going into April. And then when we took that pause and we decided, okay, are, are we going to do this this summer? Are we going to wait till the fall? Are we waiting this out? What's going to happen? I, I found myself looking around at our product offering and realizing that we had a lot to offer to our community and to our neighborhood and the surrounding neighborhoods. We had things that people that were uncomfortable going out and about during COVID. We, we could do curbside. We could do takeout. We could be able to provide the fixings for, for meals without, you know, for people that were kind of sick of cooking and going to the grocery store. And I found myself just saying, okay, let's, let's just throw open the doors. Let's do this. Let's, let's see how people respond and let's go from there. And we got a really warm welcome from the community. And I think uh, the space itself feels pretty easy breezy. Um, you know, you, you walk in there, you can be as socially distant as, as you want. Um, you can be in and out in two seconds. You can enjoy a long meal on the patio. And so people have been able to embrace it in all different ways. Tell me about your interest in food or why you came to this concept right now. What's your sure. background? Yeah. So my background is originally in, in finance and investment banking in the business world. But then when I moved to Minnesota with my husband, I took a job with Talenti Gelato, actually as their uh, national director of food service sales, selling gelato into restaurants around the country. And my, my background in, in banking was actually in sales. So totally different, um, totally different item to be selling gelato. But that really introduced me to the food and beverage world, to understanding back of kitchens and how purchasing work. And then after I had my first son, Jack, I decided to really pursue this interest and go to culinary school here at the Art Institute. So I uh, went to school, had my second son, Luke, went back to school, had my third son, Alex, and went back to school. And then- oh, I was waiting for the fourth kid. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Done at three. No more. <laughs> I knew I wasn't getting a girl. So, um, so, and then from there, my, my interest was really in just rustic seasonal food. I didn't want to do a full service restaurant. Uh, these concepts like this, these, these markets or casual cafes that I had, I had visited or experienced growing up on the East coast. Like the Barefoot Contessa. Yes. Like, um, who's her? There's a great cookbook called Summer Plates that's her mentor who helped her 
and influenced her. And she also has a place in the Hamptons that mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of your market. Yes. And there's a couple places, you know, I, when I lived in New York, I lived, you know, on the same block as Dean and DeLuca. And I loved being able to utilize Dean and DeLuca for all that it had to offer. And then um, there were some places that inspired me out West from Jones on third in Southern California to Oakville grocery mm-hmm. and places like, shed and in New York places like Italy and, and, and places of that nature. And I thought, how cool would it be to, to open something like that here in Minnesota? And I really wanted it to have that residential neighborhood vibe, a place where you almost feel like you're in somebody's home or in their kitchen. And, and when we moved to Wyzetta, I felt like this concept really lent itself well to that community and, and that neighborhood, especially being lakeside. I didn't feel like anyone was, was doing anything for that boat traffic and providing picnic baskets or cheese and charcuterie boards. And there was, it was exciting. The, the environment in Wyzetta was starting to get exciting with these different restaurants opening up from Belcor to, you, you had some really nice fine dining places. And then you had really casual spots like Crisp and Green, and there was really nothing in the middle. So I, I felt like this concept could fill a void a little bit. And and we've had a, a warm embrace. So, so, so far, so good. <laughs> Did you always anticipate having things like jams and ready to mix uh, drink mixes or is that a reaction to COVID? No, we always anticipated that. What we didn't anticipate as much, you know, I had worked with, during my travels, I had picked just little items that I love from all over the country. So we're working with a lot of small batch, family-owned little businesses, which provides it, it provides a sort of a challenging backdrop to trying to do all these different retail items when you're dealing with, you know, 100 different vendors. But that's what I think really makes our offering special. These a lot of these things you don't see here in the Midwest. What surprised me the most was we started to make some of our own house made retail items, right? Some of our dressings that you, you people kept saying, Oh, can you bottle this and sell this? I always wanted to do our bootleg mix, but I didn't know how that was going to take off. And I remember talking to chef about it early on And he said, really, Lindsay, bootleg mix? You think people are going to buy that? I said, just trust me on this one. And I I mean, I'll tell you, Stephanie, we put it out at 8 a.m. in the morning and we'll put out 30 bottles and it'll be gone by 9.30 a.m. It's Mm -hmm. just crazy. And so that response to the house-made retail has been really exciting. It's been challenging from a capacity standpoint in the kitchen because not only are we trying to prep for the line in our cafe, but also trying to fill a large deli case of prepared foods and then make all this house-made retail items from jams to nuts to bootleg mix to, you know, dressings and olives alike. So sounds like a a commissary kitchen could be in your future. No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I know you just opened, but I suppose Mm -hmm. it's a good problem to have. So outside of the bootlegger, are there other things that you sell that you're particularly proud of that you make? Yeah, we do a uh, rosemary chipotle nut mix that is actually a take on Barefoot Contessa's uh, recipe. It's got some maple syrup and some chipotle and some Malden salt. So it's got that salty sweet combination. We also do um, a house made granola that's got, I'm a big fan of the salty sweet combination. Me too. Right. So that one sells really well. Our green goddess salad dressing. I love that. That goes, that's on our crispy chicken green goddess salad. 
And that's one of our most popular salads. So that's fun to sell in the market as well. And then we just started doing house-made tortilla chips with this nice kind of spicy, salty mix on it with uh, uh, pico de gallo and a really nice guacamole. And that stuff flies. And that's been really fun in summertime. That's what people are looking for. And that less meat and cheese right now, more chips, guac, salsa, and bootleg mix. Right, right. All the summer things that you can just pick up and take on your boat or have on a a picnic. Are there local makers that have inspired you? Um, You know, we do have some, our meat and cheese program really centers around very local. Um, We've got Alamar cheese and Mm -hmm. Red Table meats. um, And then, you know, when I looked at our cheese program, I really wanted, you know, we're in a great part of the country for dairy. And Mm -hmm. I, when I started looking at, at, at different farms, I, I knew I wanted to stay as hyper-local as possible. So we're strictly Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa on our cheeses. Our meats were, you know, were fairly local as well. And then I've had a, a lot of really great, very local companies, even just right out in Plymouth um, that have come with their spice mixes or their jams where we're just bringing in on Tuesday, here's the deal, spice. It's um, great. It's great. We we tried it and just they're lovely people. And so anytime we can support someone like that, that's got a great product. I just that's saw really that fun. he has these like little wooden crates. We we podcasted with him probably six or eight episodes ago. And he has these little wooden crates that have like a sampler of all of his spices in it. Really cute. Yep. Yep. Okay. So when you look forward and you get into winter and more of the cooler months, I'm assuming as a seasonal market, you'll be kind of pivoting and maybe you'll offer more like pasta sauces and some of those types of things in the winter months? For sure. We do have a fairly robust savory program of different pastas, pasta sauces, pestos, things of that nature. But when it comes to seasonality, I think where you're going to see a lot of that change is in our deli case. That's been the area where we've been able to really play around from a culinary standpoint and tap into those micro seasons. Here, we we work with the Good Acre, uh, which is a nonprofit food hub that our family started about five years ago. And we we've just gotten some beautiful zucchini and kale and, you know, tomatoes and berries and such from them. And that's where we're really able to play around and, 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 and change things out. We'll always have our staples there from our chicken salad to our roasted beet salad and things like that. But as we get into the fall, I think it's going to be really fun to play around with our robust uh, seasonality then. And then We've got uh, a freezer right now where we're doing ice cream sandwiches and, and bootleg mix and pizza dough. And that's going to turn into some really killer mac and cheese and lasagna and sure, things like sure. that come winter. Yeah. You're not the first person that has told me how successful ice cream and ice cream sandwich and single serve ice cream has been. It's like, I think people, instead of going out for coffee in the evening or going out for scooped ice cream, they're going and buying like these single serve ice cream treats. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we've got a we've got an ice cream cart outside where we're doing scooped ice cream. And then um, from our bakery, we are doing our chocolate chip sea salt cookies and then taking a honey buttermilk ice cream and doing these ice cream sandwiches out of it. And people Yum. just people just love it. And then we sell the pints in our store. We were working with uh, Clementine's Creamery 
in St. Louis, Missouri, and they've got a fabulous product. But honestly, ice cream is is really hard to ship. And now we're going to be partnering with Honey and Mackey's right up the road. And they've got a fantastic product and doing some some custom flavors with them. So hopefully that ice cream program will will stay pretty robust for us because I think it's it's really fun for the adults and kids alike. Yeah. Were you involved in Good Acre at all? That is such a great concept and such a welcome addition to the Twin Cities of helping connect farmers with people that can buy their actual produce in a larger way than just at a market. Yes, I was. It was my sister-in-law and I, Sarah Polat, who started The Good Acre, started doing our research way back, uh, probably now seven years ago, trying to figure out, you know, we started out thinking, oh, could we do some sort of vertical farm or what can we do here? Because what we were finding was there was really that need for uh, that middleman between the, the farmer and then the end user. When we we really started looking at the needs, it wasn't really as much of what we originally set out thinking, oh, we could do this sexy vertical farm. No, it was it was the warehousing, it was the storage, it was the processing, um, and it was a commercial kitchen that was really needed. And so we, we based uh, the Good Acre on the specific needs of what the community needed then. And it, it really is a one acre piece of land right next to the University of Minnesota Agricultural School in Falcon Heights. And we've got a, a nice size warehouse there. We help farmers store their, their crops there. We do a lot of partnerships with the U with um, teaching farmers um, anywhere from, you know, processing to getting their GAP certification and things like that. And then we've got uh, a nice um, maker to market program where we're helping small, small businesses get off the ground, you know, renting out our commercial kitchen for a very low rate, being able to make their jams or their kimchi or things like that, and then helping them sell it into um, to places like the Wedge or different co-ops or grocery stores. And then we've got a really healthy uh, uh, farm share program. We are yeah. actually the farm share drop at the grocer's table for out west. We used to do it at my, at my church out here, and now we're doing it at the grocer's table, which is fun because a lot of people come in and they say, hey, how can I get one of those boxes? And I think it's provided some nice visibility for the Good Acre. It's just a great place. I just want to personally thank you and your family for starting it. It has been really, I've taken some classes there. I've uh, worked with some farmers that have had product there that they couldn't have, they couldn't have gotten their product into the hands with as few steps as you guys provide with the storage opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then I've also worked with some of the maker to market folks that have, you know, been able to make their soups with all ingredients from the Midwest and from Minnesota farmers. So it's just really, I wondered what your connection was to that because it is such a great asset to have in our cities. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. So it's been really fun to talk to you. Uh, What do you, as we kind of wrap up here, what do you want people to know? Like you're kind of a destination place if you're not living out in your area, because this is out in the Minnetonka, Wayzata area. What do you want people to know that would make it worth the drive for them besides your bootlegger mix? Because that kind of sold it, I got to tell you. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, you know, I think it's just a really fun experience. We try to hit on all senses from the smell to the touch to the taste. And I think it's it's not just a a stop to get lunch. I think it's a really fun experience. You can come in, order something from the cafe, uh, a great glass of wine, go sit on the patio and enjoy being lakeside and then come on inside and shop around and bring some stuff home for dinner or um, a gift for a friend. And, and I think it's just a nice way to spend an afternoon and, and, 
I, I do feel like we've provided a, a really nice, warm, friendly environment. So um, yeah, I think it, it's worth the trip. Sounds like the next place to meet my friend, Heather Manley from Crooked Water Spirits, who's out your way. Yeah, that would be yeah. fun. I'll meet her on the patio. Thanks. I really appreciate your time today. And we will put a link to the store directions and um, all the information on how people can find you at the Makers of Minnesota podcast. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Stephanie. 